good evening everyone and um, welcome to our Wednesday evening service. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we welcome you. If not, if you're regular uh, following us on this um, live streaming, we hope that this service would be a blessing. We'd like to start in prayer and you join me in prayer and then we will sing for a little bit, worship the Lord in songs. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks tonight once again for the privilege you've given to us that we can come into your house this Wednesday night, open our hearts to thee, Lord, and receive a, blessings from your, a blessing from your word. We thank you, Lord, for a community that we're living in, that the church is in. We thank you for the safety of your people, Lord, and this entire environment that we move around in. Lord, you've been merciful to us and kept us safe. Even so, we give you thanks tonight, and we ask, O oh Father, as we enter into this Wednesday night service, that your presence will be with us, that you will touch hearts that are following us, Lord, change lives, we pray. Let there be a conversion process in everyone that uh, you would touch, Father, we pray. Bless the service tonight, and be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and Amen.
tonight that we can flash up the choruses so you can see it. And uh, not the only thing we are sorry about, uh, we are hoping that sometime in the future, depends on how long we are streaming, if we can have a system installed that will put the scriptures on your computer screen if you're looking from home. Um, it might mean that we uh, can flash up something behind us also, but I'm talking about electronically equipped to do better than that. However, we're glad we're in church here on Wednesday night, and I'm thinking of a scripture where Paul was writing to Timothy. Uh, let's see if we can find that here in 2 Timothy. And um, tonight, I'd like to take my time and talk to you a little bit. Um, sometimes, you know, preacher gets weary of preaching. If I had messages basically designed for entertaining God's people, and uh, this church that we have here in Mississauga becomes a social club. We'll have programs and uh, activities and dinners and all of that. And then I'll try to find me some nice messages to preach. This morning I was up early, as my usual time is. And I decided to see who's preaching out there and what they're preaching. And so I got the television on, I went through the television guide, and I saw a woman preacher. Uh, she was preaching, and she had maybe about 4,000 people in her congregation, the audience, the people in that auditorium. I would think about maybe about three or 4,000 people. And um, I listened to her, and you know, everybody's got to do what everybody feels they're called to do. And she's got to do what she feels she's called to do. But if I was really hungering for God, she wouldn't feed me. Uh, she was talking about some little terminologies that she would associate with the highway. And she is wealthy. She's one of the wealthy preachers in the world. And so I don't envy her. I, and at the same time, I don't want to be like her. She's called to do what she's called to do. And I'm called to do what I'm called to do. And then, after getting bored for about 10 minutes listening to her, I flipped over and found a man that I respected a little bit more than I would for her. And of course, when I turn to him, he's a man that is learned in the scriptures, and he has a lot of knowledge in Greek and Hebrew, and uh, he's a doctor in uh, theology. And when I'm looking at him, um, maybe I'm prejudiced because his platform, he had not as much people as the woman had, but he had uh, maybe about a dozen Christmas trees behind him and all kinds of Christmas paraphernalia around him. And I wonder why would someone call himself a doctor? and claim to understand things, claim to understand mysteries, and cannot simply understand some basic concept of what God would want and what God wouldn't want. And so, every preacher has his own responsibility. I feel that I'm called to do what I'm called to do. And I feel, more, I feel more comfortable associating myself with men in the Bible. And uh, Paul is one of those. I'm not Paul, but I associate myself with them because when I'm looking at some of these areas here, he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy. And he makes a statement here. He says, um, uh, verse 5, chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, When I call to remembrance... The unfeigned faith that is in you, the uh, not a hypocritical faith, the unfeigned faith, a faith that will not shatter or waver, which first, um, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother, um, I think Alexander Scorby says Eunice, but we would say Eunice, for I am persuaded that it it that 
that in thee also, the same faith. And then he comes here in verse 7. He says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sober or sound mind. And it's important that we understand Paul writing to this young man. It's the last epistle, according to tradition, they said that Paul wrote. He wrote to Timothy this last epistle, and uh, that was it. Uh, he was executed uh, before he could write another epistle. And then he says there, he says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And uh, to associate yourself with the Lord Jesus, uh, to understand who he, he is or he was, and to become like him, it's a whole lot different than a lot of people conclude. And so there are many Jesuses, many descriptions of Jesus. And a lot of people fabricate a kind of Jesus that uh, the world today would celebrate. I uh, see the world today would celebrate the Jesus in a manger and they uh, do all of this paraphernalia. To me, the church has really lost its vision. The church that started on the day of Pentecost has lost its vision years ago. And uh, just like when Jesus came in the days of the when the Pharisees were there, the Sadducees, they were blind leaders of blind people. And so here Paul, writing in about AD 64, he says, Be not, the, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. Uh, one man said some time ago, he said, the greatest enemies to missions are prejudice and indifference, with ignorance being the mother of both. Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and among his own people. And I believe that when Paul was saying these things, uh, he was already uh, forsaken by a lot of individuals. And he's telling Timothy, he says, Don't be ashamed to associate yourself with Jesus, nor of me, his prisoner. And a lot of times, you know, you preach a gospel, and my gospel is not an easy gospel. I preach a gospel like I think Jeremiah would preach. I preach, preach a gospel like I think Paul would preach. I preach a gospel like I think Peter or Isaiah or some man in the Old Testament would preach, a message that is not designed to entertain individuals, but to save God's people from the evils that exist in their time. I do not play with words because a lot of times we can play with a word and uh, the church becomes a, just a, a educational system. I don't want that. I want the church to be that influence that will save, change our lives and help God's people to move on. And so Paul says, don't be ashamed of Jesus, nor of me, his prisoner. And uh, uh, over the years, uh, you find that um, uh, a lot of people prefer not to associate themselves with you. And you know, being on the internet is an amazing thing because of who you are. Now, I want to tell you about me a little bit, just a little bit here. I feel God has called me to the ministry. And uh, I preach a gospel that I feel the Lord has given me. When I stand up, like tonight, a few thoughts in my mind, but I'm standing up here to present a gospel that I feel the Lord wants me to present. There might be people that are happy about this gospel I preach, but they're embarrassed to associate themselves with me. And so they're getting blessed, but they would not want to declare that publicly because it will make them look they're associating with this man that never went to Bible seminary or things like that. And that is sad 
There are some people that will listen to me preaching the gospel and would really be upset with me and uh, would feel like I should not preach the way I'm preaching. And some people would, would just not want to give an opinion. Some people are neutral. I would not prefer not to give an opinion. Well, whatever your opinion is or your conclusion is, I want to tell you that I preach a gospel that you can change me and see if you can push me in a corner and have me change my gospel. No, my gospel is mine, and if I can't preach it, then I stop preaching. And that's how it is. I will preach the gospel I feel God has placed in my heart. And uh, unlike, uh, there were times, somebody told me today, uh, how long you've been pastoring? And I said, you know, I've been pastoring for 50 something years. They say you started early. I said, yes, I started early when I was um, about um, 18 years old, 19 years I started. And uh, you preached a long time. Um, I said, yes, I preached many, many years. I'm not a newcomer to preaching the gospel. Have you changed on concepts? Well, every day God changes me. I've changed my attitude to people. I've changed my presentation of giving the gospel. And yet I preach what I feel God has placed in my heart with no apologies. I preach what I would like to describe as an unapologetic gospel. It has no apologies. I preach exactly what I feel God has placed in my heart. And there might be some people that are not embarrassed to associate themselves with me because the message is changing their lives. If the message is changing your life, then you need to testify about it and let individuals know that God is changing your life. That's the most important thing. And so when Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, I'm going to read this again. He says, be thou therefore... Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Be, be, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And then he comes on here in verse 13. He says, hold fast the form of sound words. And this is important because sound words that Paul was giving. Paul was an apostle called out of due season, but he was an apostle that the Lord sent out. At the message that Paul preached, there was no apologies for anything he said. His spirit had to be changed. His attitude to people had to be changed, but the message he had, he might have been an imperfect man striving for perfection, but the message he had was a perfect message. And he would not bend back or change. And so he's telling Timothy, he says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. It was important that uh, Timothy understand that it was the Holy Ghost that will direct him. Today, a lot of people say they got the Holy Ghost. A lot of people say, well, the Holy Ghost is moving. And I am not here to pick on individuals. I'm here to preach the gospel. And if the gospel that I preach picks on your religious commitment, then what can I do? I have to preach the gospel like I feel. God wants me to preach it. And so we're going on here, he says, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. And then he says here a very strong statement because by AD 64, Paul said, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia, he didn't say a few, he says, all they which be in Asia be turned away from me of whom is Phygelus and Hermogenes. He says the entire work that got started in Asia, and it might have been Asia Minus, basically, they are turned away from Paul. 
And as he writes this letter, we are getting to understand that Paul is very, very is a very sad man in the sense that he is a very disappointed individual. I believe the gospel I preach is not a happy gospel. It's not a happy gospel. Um, sorry to say this, but the message I preach is not intended to be to make you happy. It's intended to save you from sin and to put you in the kingdom of God. It's intended to cleanse you from evil. It is not intended to make you happy. It is intended to make you holy. And that is important. It is important. And if this Jesus that you're not ashamed of uh, becomes real in your life, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I was asking Brother John before church started tonight because a scripture popped into my head that when the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith on the earth? And Jesus warns of these days that you and I are living in. Sometimes I wish I could just spend a week in the days that Jesus was living in if I can survive the lack of luxury and comfort. But um, we are living today. And in today's world, iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold. And when Jesus made that statement that when he returns, shall he find faith on the earth? See, faith is not just uh, everybody's faith I'm talking about. Faith is not just confidence in the subject or in a thing or in a religion. I'm talking about genuine faith. Faith in God, like he would have you understand and that is what peter meant when he said um, he says and that to your faith virtue in other words we are here to let god work in our lives because the time frame we are living in is a very very bad time the scripture i used on the weekend that if there be a messenger with him one among a thousand and this was what job said Elihu, I think, said in the book of Job many, many, many years ago. And today it's worse because when you think from hindsight, every church that God has started slowly went into apostasy. As I'm thinking about this, I'm remembering the prayer of Jesus, and you bear with me here. We've got a nice good half an hour to go. And when Jesus made this prayer in John 17, and I'm turning back to John 17, and I want to uh, look at a particular area tonight. Uh, in John 17, Jesus made a statement over and over and over and over. He said here, in John 17, he says, verse 5, he says, Oh, and now, O Father, glorify me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And he's playing on the word world. And tonight I'd like to talk a little bit about this word world. He goes on here in verse 6. He says, I manifested thy name unto the men which thou givest me out of the world. Now as we're looking at this, I want you to understand that further down in that chapter, in verse 14, he says, I've given these men, the disciples he's talking about, thy word, and the world had hated them. And when I'm looking at this, I'm not thinking it's the ungodly world. I'm thinking that these men that Jesus was praying for were hated by the religious world. They were hated by their fellow religious Jews. Hold your finger in, in John 17 for a moment here, and let's turn to Acts, the seventh chapter. And this is a very, very long and tremendous chapter. As a matter of fact, in chapter 6, when the disciples, the apostles, wanted men to serve bread, they appointed uh, some men of honest report. Uh, they appointed seven men in chapter 6 and verse 3. Honest report, men that were full of the genuine, 
Holy Ghost. It not, it's not just guises spoke in tongues. Now, these men were filled with the genuine Holy Ghost, and they had wisdom which you may appoint over this business. These men were not fabricated by a religious apostasy of their time. They were not manufactured ministers. Today in our world, you best pray that I'm not just a manufactured minister. Because the devil has more ministers out than God has. The devil manufactures ministers like an assembly line. He manufactures men, and the more men he can send out with a perverted concept of God, the church will never come to the place of full maturity. That is why straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. When the way looks like it's broad and easy and pleasant and happy, be careful, it might not be the right way. And in Acts the sixth chapter, it goes on to say, and of these men, verse 5, he says, And the same pleased the whole crowd. They wanted to appoint some individuals that were full of the Holy Ghost, honest report, and full of wisdom. And they appointed Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost. And it names the others here, but I'm dealing with just one man, Stephen. And then in verse 11 of the sixth chapter, it says after Stephen was preaching and he was making a commotion among the religious element, the religious world of that time, uh, he, they had a problem. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. The man had wisdom from God and there was a boldness and the spirit that he spoke with that challenged them so much. But you see, it doesn't happen the same way today. Today, if Stephen was here today, he would not be stoned naturally. He will be abandoned and stoned spiritually. Uh, individuals will like to criticize him and like that. But here, back there in in AD 33, they summon men. Here is what the religious element will do. And you know, I've had experience with this because uh, there were times when I went back to Guyana and I wanted to spread the gospel. This, I was just fresh in my heart to uh, preach about the body of Christ and, uh, you know, the kingdom of God. That individuals uh, met together and told their congregations that they met with me. And had a long discussion with me and they could not see eye to eye. And that was not true. Uh, when it comes to religion, men would lie. And the last service I made a statement. I, I talked about men holding the truth in unrighteousness. I can have all my doctrines right. But if the daily practice that I practice and the lifestyle I live is corrupted, I'm holding the truth. In unrighteousness. I'm preaching the truth but living a lie. And I'm not talking being a wicked and evil guy that going out, you know, with prostitutes. No, I'm talking about spiritual prostitution. I'm talking about spiritual fornication. And so this was the problem. The religious people, the world, not only hated the disciples, they hated Stephen. And the suburban, uh, suburban men, uh, which said, We have heard this man speak blasphemous, blasphemous words against Moses and against God. See, one of the things individuals will do, if your message contradicts years of tradition of past leaders, they'll try to make your message of non-effect by condemning you by what past leaders have said even if you preach truth. And so Stephen had a problem here. Uh, they said he sp uh, spoke blasphemy against Moses, and they stirred up the people. Can you believe this is religion? This is the religious people in Jesus' day that he left. And they said they stirred up people, and they stirred up the elders. The leaders were corrupted. And scribes, men who were learned and could 
translate and write down, translate scriptures and uh, copy over Isaiah and the prophecies of the Old Testament. They got together elders and scribes and, and uh, came unto, upon him and caught Stephen, that is, and brought him to the council. Uh, they brought him to the council. Uh, today's world, they'll excommunicate him. Back there, they'll kill him. And that is just, you see, the worst, one of the worst hatred you can have and animosity is religious hatred and religious animosity because someone is contradicting your years of tradition. If your years of tradition contradicts, the word of God contradicts your years of tradition, I will stand on the word of God and also contradict your years of tradition. That's why I don't plan to be popular. I plan to preach the word of God. And uh, it will be like just like I feel God wants me to say. And you can fight and buck and quarrel and fret and fume and bring me before the council. I will not change what I feel God has placed in my heart. At a time like this, in this day of darkness and evil, God has given me a message, I believe, that needs to give some people, some people, an opportunity to make changes in their lives. Others, they'll just keep on going blind and continue in blindness. And so these individuals, they brought him and they set up false witnesses. They make up stories. And uh, which, which said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and against the law. And when they heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. You see, one of the things that can undermine what you're preaching and can disannul what you want to say is the concept that you're not preaching what the fathers have preached. And that is why when you look at this entire sermon in chapter 7, uh, Stephen went on and he talked about, he started by talking about our fathers. And in chapter 7, he said in verse 38, he says concerning uh, Moses, he says, this is he which, uh, talk about Jesus. This is he, verse 38, which was in the church in the wilderness or the congregation in the wilderness with the angel which spake unto him in Mount Sinai and uh, with our fathers, our fathers, and he used the word, I'm playing with the word, our fathers, our fathers, which who received the lively oracles to give unto us. And he goes on, he says, unto our fathers, which would not obey, but trust him uh, from them. See, the fathers did not want to follow Moses. They did not want to follow the customs of God. Every time God raised up a man, the religious fathers of that time stood against him when he contradicted their traditional uh, concept or lifestyle that was not supported by scripture. Amen. And today, that is what we're having today. Because this concept of blasphemy today that exists today, we should not support it. And Paul, um, uh, Stephen went on here, he says, and these people, when they defied Moses, they told Aaron in verse 4 to make us, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses, which brought us up, brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And they went on and they, they were influencing Aaron. Now there's a difference between Moses and Aaron. Moses was processed by God called by God to do what he was doing and processed that every trace of Egypt was gone from this man. He was not ready now to serve the gods of Egypt anymore. No, he was completely, uh, at a great, to a great extent, free from that. God had processed Moses, but God did not process Aaron. And so when a man is not processed by God and is not called to lead God's people, he would lead people into the ditch. It has always been the case. And that is why uh, you can 
read the rest of that chapter, but I don't want to get into the detail because these people were worshiping uh, the host of heaven. They made a calf in verse 41, and then God turned and gave them to worship, uh, give them up to worship the host of heaven. You see, you can be so obstinate in what you want to do that God speaks once, he speaks twice, he might speak more than that, and then he gives you up to a reprobate mind. And it will be sad if the Lord is talking to us today and we would prefer to remain in our apostasy and let apostate concepts and ideas follow into the church. The church will not produce overcomers if the church is undermined by heathenism and paganism, false concepts of God. You know, I sat down and and I, I, simple thing, I stand up, sat down and try to, to look at what we were involved in so many years. I'm glad the Lord saved me from being a Hindu. I'm glad the Lord saved me from the Madras religion. And things that were gods to me at one time, I had to give it up. And the Lord moves on with his people, and if what I am worshipping today... Uh, there's an element of ungodliness and paganism in it. I need to give it up. As you draw closer to God, your eyes get open up to the reality of what you, how you should serve God. And so this goes on here, and God gave them up. This is sad, isn't it? That God gave them up. Just like Romans 1, God gave them up to a reprobate mind. God can give up his own people to serve the wrong element. Because if we don't have a consciousness of holiness and a desire for godliness and a desire for holiness, God will give you up. So here is my whole deal. You want to go contrary to the message I preach? Suit yourself. I don't believe in putting a Christmas tree in the church. Period. When I look at it, I wonder how educated men and men learn in Greek and Hebrew and all of this can sit down and see that stupid thing called a Christmas tree and try to associate it with Jesus. I cannot fathom it. And yet, it is promoted in our day and call a Christian thing like every other false concept and false doctrine. Catholics in disguise. That's what we are. But that's not important. What is important is that how do we please God? Has God already given some of us over to a reprobate mind? It is important to question these things. And then back over here, where were we? Uh, before we got into, into Acts, we were back in John 17. Was it John 17 or did we go somewhere else? Uh, in John 17, Jesus used the word world. And it is important that we understand. He says, Father, uh, glorify me with thy glory, verse 5, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And he uses the word world in verse 6. And then he comes down here and he makes a strong statement in verse 9. He says, I pray for them, the disciples. I pray not for the world. This is an ungodly, apostate, religious world. I showed you in verse 14. He says, I've given them thy word, and the world hated them. This was not the ungodly world that hated the disciples. This was the religious world that hated the disciples, and also the religious world that hated Stephen. It was the religious people that stoned Stephen to death. Because he would not compromise with their hypocrisy. What was God's people so overtaken by in the days of Stephen. That they would not hear the word of God that this man was preaching. Full of the Holy Ghost. I'm sure they thought they had the Holy Ghost. And there's so much of make-believe Christianity today. That we've got to be careful now. In the same chapter 17 Jesus went. He says I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou givest me, uh, for thine they are. 
Verse 11, and now I'm no more with them in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep them through thy name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. He says, Father, please keep them, keep them secured. And I hope that Jesus has prayed for some of us, because the world is subtle and the devil is subtle. All right? Uh, he goes on for it, he says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou hast given me, I, I have kept. He says, verse 13, And now come I to thee, and the things I speak, speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, the real, true, unadulterated word, word of God, and the religious world hated them because they're not a part, they would not hobnob uh, with the world. Uh, he says, as I'm not of the world. Jesus was not ecumenical in his operation. He, was, he prayed for the sanctification of his disciples. He was also sanctified from the world. And we've got to be so careful because we're living today in the world and the world is going crazy. And hold your finger in John 17 and turn with me here to uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation, just for a moment. We're coming back to John 17 before the service comes to a close. But in Revelation, the uh, 12th and 13th chapter, uh, we want to go into chapter 13, but just a little bit here in verse 12, chapter 12 and verse 1. And John sees a vision, and I'm not some, some great prophetic teacher that I can tell you what this means. As a matter of fact, I don't think anyone alive can tell you the full meaning of Revelation, except when Jesus comes back to recommission the church. He will tell us. This book is sealed to a very great extent. But we can play on it and see what we can. He says, There appeared a great wonder, wonder in heaven. A woman, and we believe that's the church, clothed with the son of righteousness and standing upon the law of Moses. Why would you say that, Brother Singh? Well, there are two elements here. The law of Moses, the commandments of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. It says that in the last verse. It says in verse 17, And the dragon was wrought with a woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, uh, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So it was a blending of the commandments of God and that which Jesus offered. All right? So back in chapter 12 in the first part, uh, time is running on us tonight, but let's look at some of this and we can take it up further on on the weekend if God helps us. It says, and this woman being with child, and we believe that this woman, uh, the church, just prior to the bride being produced, she is with ch child and she is travailing in birth. She is not a happy-go-lucky church. She is travailing to produce this man-child. It's not easy in a sick world and a perverted world and a world given over by God to ungodliness for a church to produce overcomers. It's a rather difficult job. For the church to produce jokers, that's easy. For the church to produce clowns and hypocrites, that's easy. For the church to be turned into a social club, that's easy. For the church to produce that which is without spot, or wrinkle, it is not easy. It takes God. So this woman is travailing hard to bring forth. And while she is travailing in pain, there appeared another wonder in heaven. Then behold, a red dragon. The dragon here in verse 17, it says um, in verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out. That great dragon is not huff, puff, comes the dragon. It's a symbol the dragon is a symbol of an evil being. It says in that old, and that dragon, verse 9, which was cast out, that old serpent, he's also called the old serpent, all right? Which also is called the devil and Satan. These are all titles given to the same dragon. So the devil can be called the dragon, he can be called the devil, he can be called Satan, and he can be called the old serpent or the prince of darkness or another title given to him. So here in verse 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. 
His tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And a dragon stood before the woman which was ready to deliver to, for to devour her son as soon as it was born. My thought on this uh, might be a thought that brings disagreement among my fellow ministers. But when I look at Revelation, in chapter 1 it tells us in Revelation that the stars uh, which thou sawest in his right hand, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in his right hand, this, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. In other words, they're the ministers of the seven churches. So when I'm reading that the tail of this dragon drew one-third of the stars of heaven and it cast them to the ground, I'm thinking in this day and age we're living in, it's hard to find men that can continue to shine as stars for God. That the devil's plan is to undermine the faith of the ministers, and if he can undermine the faith of the ministers, he's got the churches. Is that new? No. The churches of Galatia was gone because the devil undermined the faith of the ministers. Lystra, Iconium, Derby, Antioch, gone. The church of Corinth, gone. The church of Colossae, eventually gone. The church at Rome, gone before it even got started. The church at Philippi, gone. The church of Jerusalem, gone. Israel in the Old Testament, why the prophets came? The prophets came because Israel always had iniquity working in it. By the time they recovered, they're back in iniquity, coming up with a little concept and means and methods of serving God. Anything that is brought into the church that is not based on scripture and supported by scripture and promotes holiness is iniquity. And so if God can... If the devil can successfully raise up enough ministers, his tail drew a third part of the stars and cast them to the ground. If that is talking about ministers, it's no phenomenon because uh, the Bible tells us that many false prophets shall arise. A false prophet is not a man that is looking like he is a weirdo and a wacko. Now the devil has transformed himself as an angel of light. False prophets today teach the gospel. They teach truth, but they live a lie. Any man that teaches truth and puts all his Christmas paraphernalia in his church, he is teaching truth, but he is living a lie. Any man, pastor that has his church, his kids, go into a Halloween spree, He's preaching the truth, maybe a hundred percent truth, but he's living a lie. He's holding the truth in unrighteousness. And you know, many of us, we have a lot of the truth, but we may be not having all. And there are elements in our own individual lives where we, we are living lies that God must save us from. I'm not here throwing off on anyone. The first person I need to examine clearly, uh, uh, carefully is myself. And so when you understand this, this woman, the tail drew a third part of the stars, and uh, there was war. And then I flip over here, because you know we can have to go back to these scriptures. We cannot complete it. But here is something I want to bring to your attention. It says in chapter 13, this beast that symbolizes civil government and all that it offers, sports, fashions, and all kinds of uh, commercial entertainment and all of that. This beast here in Revelation 13, John looked and he saw one of the heads as it was wounded to death. And we knew that. We study prophecy and understand that one of the heads that was wounded was the, the head of the beast called Roman Catholicism. That uh, papal Rome was wounded. Alright. And all the world. You see the word world comes in again. Uh, right here ahead of us. Or maybe in our day. When John was writing this in 1897. He did not have the slightest clue. What he was looking at. 
But this scripture might already have been fulfilled in our time. Because today, when I'm looking at this, it says, And all the world wandered after the beast. And by wandering after the beast, you worship the dragon, which give power unto the beast. When you let the world and what's going on in the world indoctrinate you, and that comes on into the body of Christ, there is polluted bread in the body of Christ. If that happens. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying if what is coming in is polluting us. And when the world is wandering after the beast. The, the Muslim, the atheists, the Hindus, the Buddhists, uh, the Presbyterian, the Baptist. All is wandering. It is sad that the body of Christ also is wandering after the same beast. So we preach the truth, come out of her, my people. But we are indoctrinated by the system itself. That is why, don't just make your face funny and rebuke the devil. Live godly. Amen. You can rebuke the devil, he's not going to go. If you're living godly, that's important. Pray as you've never prayed before. Sanctify yourself. Jesus prayed, sanctify them, Father. From the world. Because the world will be wandering after the beast. And here's the problem. Because the God's children are joining the world to wander after the beast. Here's what it says. When they do that, they worship the devil, the dragon, the devil. You can be worshiping the devil in a Pentecostal church and don't even know it. My take on this is that you might not say, but I'm not worshiping that Christmas tree or these things. You are. When you stand back and you look at that, you know, Solomon had a problem in that Solomon let his heathen wives influence him. And before you know it, if Solomon, the wisest king, had altars placed in the temple of God, is it impossible that in our day the devil has successfully brought in heathen wives and ungodly spouses into our midst? And this is what is happening. You see, if you're not converted from the past, you will bring your heathenism into the body of Christ and pollute it. And I'm right. Don't pollute that which God is working hard to cleanse. Christmas is not a Christian celebration. It's a pagan celebration. Amen. Amen. But Terry asked me tonight, he says, did I give a Christmas card this year? I said, this year we're not handing out Christmas cards. We stop. We're not only junking one aspect, we're slowly asking God to help us to junk all of that. Doesn't mean because I don't have a Christmas tree in my house, I'm holy? No. It just means I'm not an element. I'm not following the world and running after the world because here's what the scripture says. And it was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy. This beast is promoting blasphemy. The celebration of birthdays is not a scriptural thing. The celebration of Christmas is not a scriptural thing. Why would we be so naive to reality? And then it goes down here and it says, And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. And to blaspheme God's name. There's a lot said in this one verse. To blaspheme God and to blaspheme God's name and his tabernacle and them that dwell therein. And here is the sad part. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given unto him over, him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell in the earth, upon the earth, shall worship him. Satanic worship today is the most predominant worship in the world. 
And it's not only in heathen nations and heathen religion, it's in Christianity. If the devil successfully undermines the church, you can sing Jesus, 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 and you're really worshiping the devil because your iniquity has overpowered your sincerity. May God help us. It says, had it not been for a remnant, we'd all be destroyed. And as we look ahead into this scripture, the power is given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. When you look around, all that dwell upon the earth will worship whatever he promotes. Whether it's Christmas or sports or fashions, he's got a hand in almost everything that's operating. That's why he's called the God of this world. And it says, all that would worship him whose names are not written. And this is the hope we have because if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world, John says, I hope you have ears to hear, let him hear. Whenever the scripture says he does have ears to hear, let him hear, it means unless God touches your ears, you would not comprehend what I'm saying tonight. I'm not here fighting with people. No, I'm here preaching the gospel and hoping that our eyes, our, our hearts are enlightened and our eyes can see clearly what is going on in the world. And even though we want to use this world because we're living in Egypt, we're not taken out into the wilderness. We're living in Egypt and we ought to be free and sanctified from Egypt while we're living in Egypt. May God help us. It's not by might, human genius, nor human power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. May the Lord let these words reach down in our hearts. May we not be influenced by our unsaved family. May we not be influenced by our unsaved relatives. May we not be influenced by that which goes on in society. But we can serve God Use this world, but not let the world take advantage and put a spirit on us and give us that, that, that easy gullibility to worship the dragon, to worship the devil, to worship the beast. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this night again for another night in your house. Lord, help us. Please, accept, Lord, accept you build a house. We labor in vain to build it and accept you keep the city. The watchman waked but in vain. Father, I can only preach the gospel. You'll have to save the people. Please save our people. Please save the body of Christ. Please save every church in this fellowship from pagan worship and idolatry, Father. Oh, God, help us not to run with the rest of society and wander after the beast. God help when this war is made against your people that the devil would not overpower us and, over, and conquer us, Lord, but our spirituality would stand strong. Strengthen your people, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.